This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is December 23rd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hey, Brian. My name is Jason Gay, and I was at Hofstra Radio, WRHU, from 1994 in the fall through the spring of 1999. Well, thank you so much for coming back and, and talking to me and sharing your stories. I, I greatly appreciate it. Before we dive in, there's two topics I wanted to, to chat with you about. Um, one, re- very recently you had messaged me. You said you were going to be on the campus of Hofstra University teaching classes for a day. And I know I'm kind of throwing you a curveball right off the bat, but that's okay. That's kind of cool that you got a chance to go back and teach. You weren't teaching radio, but you were teaching on campus at Hofstra. What was that about? So I got involved with the Career Center and the Alumni Relations Office a while back. And somebody in the Career Center reached out to me, I don't know, probably in August. And they said, hey, we do this program called Employers in the Classroom. Um, would, you, would you like to come in? And I was like, sure. What, what do you want me to talk about? Um, they said, well, we, we know you work in tech. So I work in computer science. I'm an IT consultant. And they said, we want, to, we want you to talk to some juniors and seniors about your, your journey here. So I, I get to this classroom. This was about, only about two weeks ago. And uh, I get to this, this computer science classroom in a brand new computer science building, which was absolutely gorgeous. And I walk into the classroom. And the first thing I say to these kids were, so, you know, I'm Jason. I graduated with a degree in radio broadcasting in, in 1998. And I'm here to talk to you about my career in computer science. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? What, how did you get here? So, so it was a lot of fun. It was really just kind of giving people some career advice about, you know, what, what I do, what my journey was like to get from, you know, going from radio and getting into technology, uh, as well as kind of just general thoughts on like how you can go from point A to point B and, you know, keeping an open mind and, you know, a little bit about my company as well. Wow, that's very cool. It, and it's such an interesting journey that so many of us wind up in positions or fields or jobs that we didn't necessarily think about when we were 18 or 19 years old or 20 years old or that we didn't even know about. And I think that's a really important journey. Like you said, going from radio and then winding up in, in computer science. It's quite if a you journey. had asked me, if you had asked me this, you know, in, in 1999, you know, when I left, so I, I, fin- I graduated in 98. I did a year of grad school. It wasn't for me. Um, stayed involved with the radio station during that time. But if you would ask me when I graduated or even, even a year after, if I was going to be working in tech, I would have been like, you're out of your mind. Right. <laughs> so, nope. <laughs> and that, and back then that was the internet 1.0 back then. Before yeah. That was, anybody the, even said things like that. That was in, in yeah. the days of America online and, and yeah. here's your 3000 free hours of AOL every month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult it is for me to explain to my high school students what the internet was at the beginning. They just, what do you mean there's a CD? What's a CD? They're, it's just completely foreign to them. So, well, it's but, it's funny how things come full circle. My my oldest son is a is a freshman in college right now, and he's a photography major. And he just bought a new camera that was an actual old. Well, he bought a new to him camera. It was a film camera, and he, <laughs> his friends are looking at him like, "Why are you shooting on film? Right. Why, what what is that? How do you even develop that?" So. It's it, it's funny how things come full circle. It's just kind of like the whole the whole vinyl revolution right now, with everybody wanting wanting a new record player and wanting to buy buy vinyl again. 
Jason, I, if we're not careful, we're going to start sounding like old men here. Be <laughs> I think too late for that. <laughs> Back in my day. Um, well, well, speaking of being active and doing things, you the second thing I want to talk about is you ran a marathon recently. Is that right? I did. I, uh, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon in October. It was my wow. first. It will likely be my last. Uh, but that, that was how I got, I stayed so up to date on this podcast during my training. I was like, I have three episodes to catch up on. I need to go do a long run. And it was great. It was an awesome experience. Uh, it was incredibly motivating and I never want to do that to my knees ever again. So, yeah, yeah, I bet. Well, I, I, I thank you for, for mentioning the, the podcast. I, I thought that was, that was really neat that that was your, uh, your traveling companion. I know, I know a lot of people like to run to music or they don't like any disturbance at all, but I guess, I guess this worked for you somehow. So I, I found that, you know, when I'm outside exercising, if I'm out by myself, if I'm working out, music is great, but it's great for, you know, a 20, 30 minute short run. If you're out there for any longer than that, your mind kind of gets absorbed and it's like, it starts to get into its head. So you need something to actually take your mind off of things and listen to. And this was actually an awesome way to do that. So listening, listening to podcast episodes and, uh, you know, other radio station members talk about their time at, you know, Hofter radio was a really interesting way to do it. Cause you have to actually focus on what people are saying while you're out there. And that helped me get through some of those long three, four hour runs that I was doing, um, where it was just like, you, you're outside and, you know, in warmer temperatures, that can be pretty draining on you. So you need yeah. something to just help you focus on like something else and take your mind off the pain that you're putting your body through. Wow. Well, well, congratulations on, on, on doing it. When you said a 20 to 30 minute short run, I think a lot of us were like, what do you mean short run? That sounds like too much already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's my, it's my attempt to not turn into my old man. So. Wow. Well, well, congratulations on getting that done. That's, that's a tremendous feat. And, uh, Thank you. if, if, I guess if you're ever thinking about doing it again, let me know and we'll, we'll make, we'll make sure to talk you out of it. My, my kids have, have told me that the only way that I would ever do it again is if, is if one of them were to do it with me or my niece, uh, any of them want to go do it again, I would potentially put myself through that pain one more time. Potentially. That's, that's it. <laughs> Uh, well, well done. Um, all right. So let's go back to your time at Hofstra Radio. What titles or positions did you have at the station? So the only official title I had was remote operations chief. And I believe that was my sophomore and junior year. So fall of 95 through spring of 97. Okay. Um, I think that was it though. So we, we talked in our previous conversation about that you had had some experience in high school with radio yep. and that you were very uh, good with tech and that you were, you were very interested in that sort of thing. What, was, was that a position that you heard about and thought, oh, I want to do that? Or did someone approach you and say, hey, you might fit? How did that come about? I wanted to serve on the board somehow. I, I definitely didn't want to be on, on the executive board, mm. um, I, but I wanted to be on the AB. And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like looking at, I think at the time, my, my role model there was probably Bill Kaplan. He was probably the outgoing executive engineer. And I was watching him and I was just kind of in awe at his, at his technical ability and like how much he knew. And I was like, I kind of want to be like that. And Bill didn't step down from that position right away. So he was executive engineer and remote ops uh, for, for a little while. And I believe he, he let me kind of work with him for a little bit in terms of remote operations. 
which I was thinking was going to be this glamorous position. I get to go out and engineer like all these cool, all these cool remotes. We need to get out in front of like, put our, put the radio station's name out in the quads, get out, get off campus and try to get mm. some publicity and not realizing that that's not my job. My job was just to engineer it and make sure it works. Um, but I got to work closely with him for a little bit. And then I believe later in my sophomore year, I believe Joe Ramore took over as executive engineer. Uh, and he and I worked pretty closely together for a while on that as well. Wow. That may be the first time in history that I've ever heard someone say, Bill Kaplan is my role model. But <laughs> uh, sorry for the point. I guess technically, technologically, <laughs> From right? a technology standpoint, yes. Because uh, I'm sure if Bill or when Bill hears this, he'll he'll kind of fall over. But that's 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 kind of worse. He did know what he was doing in terms of the technology. That's for sure. Yeah, he was he was like, I know exactly where everything has to get plugged in. I know how everything has to get wired together. I know how I want it to sound. And I was just I was in awe of that. I was like, that's so cool. Like, I just want to learn how to do that. Mm. So I, I so you had an idea of what the position would be, and you kind of said, oh, I thought it was going to be this glamorous thing. Uh, what did it end up becoming? Cause you did it for two years. You did it for, for two rounds. So you must've enjoyed it. You must've gotten something out of it. I did it for probably longer than I should have. And I really, I really did it just to put something on my resume. Um, and it was easy, right? It was, it was, I didn't actually have to do as much as I thought it was going to have to do. It was managing the equipment, making sure that stuff got signed in and signed out, making sure that, um, we knew where everything was and occasionally doing a remote with people. Um, it, it wasn't complicated for me at all. Um, it was, it was interesting, but not glorious. You know, I didn't, I didn't ever feel like, okay, this is, this is super cool and everything. I thought, I thought it was going to be more than it was and it, it never turned out that way. So I did it for two years just because no one else wanted to do it. Um, and that was it. It was pretty simple. So, so it's mostly events where you're doing sporting events as well. Where you're doing other remote broadcasts. You're going to push my memory on this. Um, <laughs> there were a handful of events we did around campus, right? There were, there were days that I think we had some remotes in the, in the either early fall or, or spring when the weather got nice, like on one of the quads in front of Memorial hall, where we would just not necessarily broadcast from there, but it, you know, maybe have some have a band play and we would just put our banner up and we would mix the music for them. Um, there were a handful of sports broadcasts, but nothing that I don't think I ever got involved with anything that went off campus with it. So it was always a softball game or a baseball game or, or something to that nature. It was never anything that required a whole ton of effort. Like we had, we had connectivity on campus back to the station. So there, it wasn't ever, overly complex to get things connected. It was here, just plug this in over at the softball complex and mm. um, voila, you know, it's, it's all going to pop up on the, on the board somewhere in the studio. I, it sounds like it was easy for you, but for, I'm sure for a lot of people, they were, they were very grateful to have yourself or someone like Bill or Joda to, to help you make the connections. Cause it's not easy for everybody. It may be no, easy it's not. for you, but yeah, but it's nice to have a, a, someone who knows what they're doing. That's yeah. I mean, I, I guess I took that for granted. I, I always thought it was simple and I assumed for myself, I mentioned this last time I was, I was a little late to mature and, and grow up. And I kind of always looked at it. was like, this is easy. Everybody should understand how to do this. And I couldn't right. understand when somebody didn't get it. I was just, I would get frustrated with them. Like, why don't, what don't you get here? Come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you mentioned working with Joe uh, and Bill, who else were you working with on these remotes? Or was it pretty much 
uh, your thing alone? Uh, I honestly don't remember. I, I, I feel like it could have been anyone on campus. It was sometimes the sports team. Um, it was sometimes the music department, sometimes it was promotions, right? It was just people trying to get our name out there. And, you know, at that time, WRHU wasn't what it is today, right? right. It wasn't this hugely well-known or popular place to go. It was, you know, we weren't turning people away from the, from the training class. We weren't interviewing people for the training class. If you wanted to be involved, you were getting involved. So that said, uh, is there a story, is there an event, is there a thing that you always remember that you always talk about? If someone says, oh, college radio or Hofstra, you say, this is the story that I always talk about. <laughs> so I have a, a funny story that got me suspended from the station for a couple of weeks, um, wow. which was thoroughly amusing looking back on it. Uh, Bruce was not so pleased with me at this, but um, in my time as remote operations chief, I had a key to the closet with all the equipment. You know, we had a set of speakers, we had some amps, a whole bunch of microphones, cables, um, and I believe an eight-channel Tascam mixer. And a bunch of our friends were in a band. Um, I I can tell you the name of the band was Petty Larceny. It was mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it was Mike Versaletto's band. I think uh, Dave Armstrong, Will Shelley, Todd Packer, Roman Bielski, and Brian Scott. Think we're all in the band, and they landed a gig one night playing a bar somewhere off campus. And I don't remember how I got involved in this or what, but they all basically looked at me and was just like, "Hey, think we can?" It was a Friday. It was it was a Friday night. It was a late gig, starting at like nine or ten. And so, you think you can get us the equipment to use so we can we can mix some music? And and I'm sitting here like. Sure. No problem. That sounds like a great idea. Right. Not thinking to myself, I should probably ask permission to do this. Mm-hmm. I should probably sign all this stuff out and go through all the right channels. No, 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 no. You know, this was me being arrogant and stupid. And I'd say at about seven o'clock on this Friday evening, I go down to the radio station and I pull my car up outside the back door of, of Dempster Hall. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll start kind of wheeling stuff out to my car and throwing it in there so we can get it over to this bar. And, you know, I had, a, I had every intention of putting up like a WRHU banner just to, you know, give us some publicity and say, yeah, this is what we do. We're cool. We're broadcasting this. We weren't going to broadcast it, but mm-hmm. um, I had every intention of doing that. Well, lo and behold, I get down to the station and for some strange reason, and I'm going to guess that Bruce got wind that this was happening. Bruce was still there at seven o'clock on Friday night. And I went, oh crap, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so, so I'm watching him and I'm watching him like a hawk and he's just sitting there in his office, you know, happy as can be. And this, this must've been maybe my junior year of college. I don't remember. So it would have been maybe the spring of 96, 97, somewhere around then. I had no idea how I was going to pull this off at this point. Yeah. Like, how do I sneak all this equipment out? Cause I know I'm not supposed to be taking it. So I start grabbing small things. It's like, all right, let me get some microphones and some, and some XLR cables and I'll throw them in my car. Cause that's easy. And I can get that by his office. The, um, if you've been down in the Dempster hall, uh, station where the station is now, the, if you come down the street, the, the hallway from the, the studios, the office was on the left-hand side and down to the right were the restrooms. And across from the men's room was this little closet that had all the equipment in it. 
Mm. It was locked up. So I'm sitting there like, I can sneak by here and get some of this stuff. So I don't think Bruce said anything to me right away. He waited till I got a bunch of stuff in my car. And then he popped out of his office casually like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was just kind of like, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I'm not good at lying at all. I'm, I'm terrible. My face probably turned beet red. You know, I could feel the temperature rising in my scalp. Um, and my ears were probably like as, as red as I don't even know what a cranberry. And uh, I, I <laughs> start to tell him, yeah, we're, we're doing a remote tonight. It's like, I don't remember hearing about any remote tonight. And I think he was just trying to get me to come come clean on it all. Like, what's going on? This was not a station-sanctioned event. And he basically said, well, you can't do that. And I said, the show must go on. <laughs> and I did it anyway. And then I got suspended for two weeks. Uh-huh. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We, we, we ended up having a great time that night. Um, I waited till Bruce left. We were late setting everything up. Uh, but we got it all done. We got... We got our sound check done before the show was supposed to start, and we ended up putting on they the guys put on a great great little private show in a in a bar, and I don't remember where this bar was. I I don't remember what town it was in. Um, it was maybe twenty minutes from campus, but man, I I did not. I heard uh, I I got a lot of slack for that afterwards. Like yeah. you're you're in deep doo doo, mm. <laughs> which which was a uh, it was a good time. Make so, for a so, good story later on. So speaking of bad role models, Todd and Will and probably Mike should have known better. They should have <laughs> not put you in that position to have to sneak that stuff out without, you know, not for nothing. Okay. Yes. We're all complicit in, in certain things, but that they left you alone to go get all that equipment and no one went with you. Well, they left me man. alone because I think at that point, if, if my memory serves correctly, I want to say both Todd and Roman... I think they had both graduated at that point. They weren't yeah. members of the station anymore. So they were just like, yeah, you should just be able to get this stuff. Mike, on the other hand, Mike was a very active member of the radio station. I don't, I think Will was, Will may have been graduated at that yeah, point as well. Will would have graduated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they just like, you know, underclassmen me of like, hi, I just want to do something to make myself, you know, to, to entertain myself for an evening. And this sounds like a fun idea. And yeah, it was me taking most of the crap for they, they, I know Mike got a, got an earful for this as well, Okay, but, um, I know that I ended up getting suspended for buck for a couple of weeks for it, which was, you know, what, looking back on it, two weeks is no big deal. In, in the end, it was worth it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, on the opposite side of that, are there stories that you've forgotten about that you've thought about recently because you're doing research for this or things that you rarely talk about that you wouldn't mind sharing about your time at Hofstra? Sure. So there was there was this one time, and again, more of a more of a radio broadcast, you know, engineering major than than anything else. I did not want to be on the air. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to work more in production. I was a music minor, um, but I knew I took a lot of my classes pretty seriously when it came to engineering and putting in, you know, learning how to mic people up. And I I did a lot with the with the theater companies on campus. So there was a TV class I was taking at the time and it was, it was over in one of the TV studios and we had to write a script and produce a video on anything we wanted to do. I I don't have that creative mind. So I I wrote this really dry and boring script about how to use a microphone. Hmm. Um, it, It was, it was, it was terrible. It was so boring and so like staged and, 
and set up like, how do you do this? And you should hold the microphone just like this. Like it was, it was awful. Like the way it was presented. Um, but I managed to get one of my, one of my friends who was in the theater company to act. Um, and I got Suziza to help as well. So she actually was one of the, one of the two people presenting. So I had, I had given Sue the, the script as well. And I was like, look, this is the script. Feel free to go off script wherever you see fit. I want to talk about you know, cardioid pickup patterns, omnidirectional pickup patterns, and unidirectional pickup patterns, and really how to hold a microphone so that you're not, you know, popping all your peas, because that drives me absolutely bonkers uh-huh. when I hear people do that. Hundred percent. Um, and we and we filmed a little little video, and I actually found this on VHS in my house about <laughs> I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago. I found the tape. I don't have a VHS player anymore. I'd love to go play it, but I I saw the tape and I was like, I know exactly what this is. It says AVF class. You know, it was, um, you know, it was how to use a microphone, and it, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool little experience just to get to see it. I wanted nothing to do with directing that. I was just like, I had to do it for a class. I just wanted to run sound for it and be happy. And and had to do on the project. I couldn't tell you. I graduated, so I'm assuming I passed. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, as you were telling that, it brought to mind the uh, the announcing class uh, audio that you and Dave Caney put together about obscenity and vulgarity and and things like that. That that apparently I don't know if it's still in use, but you said it was in use for. A long I don't time think afterwards. it's in use anymore. I I ran into Dave at an HTV event in Boston, uh, maybe you know three or four months ago. And I had, had a long conversation with him about this and he remembered it vividly after I, I jolted his memory on it. He's like, hold on, let me think about this for a second. And I told him exactly what we did. He's like, yep. Oh, it's like all of a sudden you watch this light bulb come on and he's like, oh my God, now I remember exactly what you're talking about. And that was awful and vile. <laughs> so. Uh, well, okay. Well, well, uh, some things you remember and some things, uh, you'd file away. Some things and- you try to bury away back in the back of your head and you don't want to have those memories come back up and then something makes them resurface. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you for sharing, uh, both of those things. Um, in terms of your, your time at Hofstra radio, is there, uh, a song or an event or a story or something that, that kind of defines those years at Hofstra radio? I don't know if there's any songs or stories or anything like that, that, that stick out specifically in my mind. Everything's kind of a blur to me on that. The big thing for me that I remember probably happened my senior year. And I, I certainly, I wasn't involved in news, so I didn't go rushing down to the station on it was, uh, was Bill Clinton's deposition mm. and you know, all the, the fun stuff that was coming out of his mouth while he was talking. And we were just like, Oh my God, I can't believe the president of the United States is talking about, you know, his, his personal life like this right now, like this, this is actually happening. Um, that was a little mortifying to me, but you know, it wasn't anything that was, um, life changing or anything like that. I, I don't think, you know, I, I look back on like significant events in, in my, in my life. And I think of, the Challenger disaster when mm. I was when I was in fourth grade, and I think of nine eleven shortly, you know, a couple of years after I graduated, and you know, again another space shuttle disaster in two thousand three. Like those are the types of things that are like moments that freeze in time for you. There's nothing that specifically stuck out for me while I was at the radio station. 
Yeah. But it's it's a mark of a of a different time period. You know, again, not to sound like old men, but things were different back then. And I remember uh, Gary Hart's campaign when he suspend was suspended his campaign because of the affair with Donna Rice, and just the fact that we were talking about the president or other politicians and their shenanigans outside of their marriage was was fairly shocking at the time. And today, yeah. I feel like. The, the, I feel the, like it's common, it's commonplace today. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if that 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 time was was a shift in the culture or it was just just part of a process. But yeah, things were quite different then. Yeah, I think you know, from from what I recall with things, people were a lot more cagey about what they talked about on the air. Mm. Right? It was it was not necessarily politically correct or okay to talk about this stuff. This was like pushing pushing the limits of what you were allowed to talk about. And I think right now it's very commonplace. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to say it's like the airing of dirty laundry, but I don't even know if it's necessarily that. It's just that there there aren't any barriers to the to the discussion of what's in public. It's just sort of everything's out there. And uh, whether you want it to be or not, I think, it's, I think yep. it's out there. And maybe that's just part of the process. Now get off my lawn, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> was there ever a time uh, while you were at the station where you thought uh, about walking away or you were done or you wanted to pursue other interests? Was there something that, that made you say, nah, this isn't for me anymore? I don't know if it didn't make me say this isn't for me, but I definitely thought about walking away. So I want to say sometime in my junior year, I pitched an idea for a show. And I couldn't even tell you what the idea was at this point, but I thought this idea was bulletproof. I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to get an audience. We know who we want to talk, we want to talk to. We know who we want to, you know, the type of music we want to play. And I didn't, I didn't know what went into pitching an idea. So mm. I'm sitting here thinking like, all right, this should be easy. I should just go in. I'll have like a 15 minute conversation. They'll say no problem. Then we'll go find a slot to put it on the air. Right. No one had ever really sat down with me and said, this is what goes into it. Um, and my idea got shot down and rather than, you know, listening and asking questions, I got pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was just, I was really irritated by it. I was like, this is, this is terrible. I can't believe they're not listening to me. You know, this is, this is, this is blasphemy, right? Like this, I, I should be, I should be able to do whatever show I want. This was college radio. And, you know, looking back on things, I'm, I'm glad that happened. You know, this is one of those things where it was a great life lesson for me. I wish I had a chance to think about it and had re responded differently. And instead of just kind of getting irritated and annoyed by it, I wish I could have gone back and asked a bunch of questions like, okay, what didn't you like? Why don't you think this will work? And what do you think it would need? Right. Those are the types of things I should have asked. Right. I was too immature to do so. I was just like, no, my idea is perfect. And you know, if you don't like it, then, then you're wrong. Um, so, uh, that was, that was a lot of, it was a hard time for me. And thankfully that, you know, I, I probably took a step back and maybe walked away for a few weeks and was just like, all right, I don't want to be around these folks for, for right now. And I, I need to just cool off. And I recognized that, but it took me a little while to come around and just say, okay, maybe it wasn't the right idea. Maybe it wasn't pitched the right way. And I, I, that was one of the things that I think as an organization at the time, we could have done a better job on of saying, Hey, you could, 
you could do this differently if you mm. really wanted to, or this is what's involved in pitching an idea, right? I had no idea. I, I had, I really had no clue. Um, you know, this is, these are the types of things you should be talking about. These are the types of things that, that your audience was going to be looking for. And by your audience, I don't mean like the people who would be listening, but the, the executive board who I was pitching the idea to, right there, know who you're talking to. And that I'm glad that happened because that taught me a really important life, life lesson around, you know, know who you're talking to at any point in time. Right. Now, uh, this may be asking too much detail, but but uh, you, you pitched the idea. Was it an immediate no, or did they get back to you after a couple of days? And like when you finished your pitch, were you like, yes, I've got this? Or like, how did that process happen where you're like, what do you mean no? Because obviously it meant something to you. I don't think it, I don't think it happened right away. I think it was, yeah. all right, we'll get back to you. And it happened within a couple of days. I think, I don't think they ever wanted to, nobody was, was super confrontational and wanted to just tell you right there to your face that this was a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So right. I kind of wish they had, cause I'm a very blunt person. Um, but it, 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 it was a few days later that they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do this. And that's when I just got irritated. And I was, I, again, I should have gone back and said, all right, well, tell me why, tell me, tell me what you didn't like so I can learn from it. And I didn't do any of that. And I wish I had. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing. And especially among student managers, when you're working with your peers to be able to say, uh, you know, this is what you should do better, or we didn't like this, or, or this is, this is what needs because we're not always mature enough at 20 or 21 years old to be able to say to our friends, you know, this was lacking or this could be better. It's all, it's a hard place to be. I think it, it was, but again, I, it, it, looking back and taking some time to mature afterwards and by taking some time, probably 20 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, uh, I don't hold a grudge. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad it happened Yeah, because if it didn't happen, then I'd be like thinking like, all right, well, I'm just going to get whatever I want whenever I pitch it. You know, and that's not the way the real world works. No, no, especially in the in the radio and TV world, it's 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 real hard to get uh, to make things happen like that. Um, I'm curious too. You you were remote operations chief for two years, but then I don't think you you mentioned you had a, a position as a senior. Was that something by choice, or did you apply for a position and not get it? No, I didn't apply for anything. I just kind of wanted to do my thing and and hang out and you know not necessarily have a whole lot of responsibility at that point in time. Yeah. I think I was, I was learning by the end of my junior year that as much as I wanted to be in radio, uh, I probably wasn't going to be able to afford that lifestyle. Right. And I, I thought about it and I was like, I could apply, but if I apply, am I going to have to commit to this? Am I, am I going to be, am I going to end up in this business or not? And the more I was seeing it, the more I was thinking, this isn't, this isn't how it's going to end for me. Um, you know, it's something that I love to do. It's something I enjoy, but is it something I'm going to make a living on? No, not, mm. not so much. I, I know we talked about this last time we, uh, we did an interview and you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you were a little slower than other people to grow up and mature, but that's a really mature decision to be able to go, hold on a second. This isn't where I want to go. Some of us will just try to force this thing to happen just because, you know, you're 20 years old and you have a ton of energy and, and drive, but you were, you were thinking, yeah, this isn't the way that I thought it was going to go, especially with your experience coming from high school. By the, by the time I finished my junior year, 
I was starting to realize that I was going to end up applying to go to grad school. Like yeah. that I needed, I needed some other, other experience to, to get myself a job. Um, I stayed at Hofstra longer than I should have. I, I stayed there for next year. I, I got into a management program in the school of business. I was miserable in that program for a year and I ended up dropping out after one year. I wish I had gone back or not necessarily gone back, but I wish as an undergrad, I had done some sort of, you know, business minor as well. I'm, I'm forcing my kids right now. Like, I don't care what your major is, mm. minor in business, you know, get some, some understanding of how the working world works so that when you leave here, you know, you can, you can find your way through a, into a job. My, my older son right now, as I said, he's a freshman in college at American university right now. And congratulations. Um, he's a, uh, thanks. He's a photography major. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, reminds me of a lot of radio. Are you going to work in that full time? (laughs) If so, if so, you might want to minor in business too. Just have that under your belt, get a little bit of experience, learn some of the terminology that you might experience in the real world. That would be really helpful for you. Um, And, you know, I think he understands that of, of my three boys, he's probably the most mature one. So, um, I don't know. I, I went back to grad school for business just to go and try to go in a different direction. And that wasn't my thing either. So yeah. it takes some time to figure things out. And, and it's a really good point is that a lot of us don't realize that, well, I want to you know be a, a music DJ or I want to be a photographer or I want to work in this. The way things are, especially today, a little less so but not that much different than when we were graduating is that you are essentially becoming an independent contractor and you're going to have to file invoices. You're going to have to, uh, manage your, uh, uh, your agenda and, and all the resources that you have. It's, there's a lot of numbers in it. And I have, I have students now who want to be artists and designers and musicians. And that's, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. But I try to tell them you are going to have to manage your finances and your resources. And that's, it's a hard thing for, a 17 year old or 18 year old to imagine. It's like, well, I'm just going to do the thing that I want to do. And it's and that's, not that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of the messaging going back to what we talked about earlier in the interview. When we, when I went back to Hofstra a couple of weeks back and presented to these students, I talked a lot about that. Mm. It was, you need to have a foundational knowledge here. You just, because you are majoring in, you know, computer science doesn't mean you're going to be able to relate to everything in the businesses that you work within. You know, you, you find that in technology, you frequently have to communicate with a CFO or, or a finance team of some sort. Right. So, you know, I, I tend to work with smaller businesses. So for me, it's oftentimes I'll, I'm in, I'm interfacing with CFOs. So you have to be able to talk to them in their terms mm-hmm. or things don't get done. So, trying to impress that message upon them and, and explain to these students, like take a class or two, understand how businesses function, understand what the difference between a capital expense and an operating expense is. understand, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things were really, really difficult for me to pick up. And I eventually got them, but it took me several years out of school to, to kind of understand that stuff. And it was just friends teaching it to me that I was working with. Right. Right. You've got to learn what a purchase order is and you've got to learn about your, your, you know, filing taxes and all these things. It's exactly. And you don't have to know all the details of it. You just have to understand the high level principles of it so that you can help yourself. None of that was taught to me. And I didn't think, you know, at the time as an undergrad to go back and, and take classes to do stuff like that. I wish 
that that would be something that Hofstra would look at and say, you know, no matter no matter what program you're in, these are these are important classes for people to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are important concepts for students to understand. Maybe there could be some sort of like real world business class for people who are not business majors, right? So that they can understand how things work. Um, that would be a super cool, super cool uh, opportunity. Or, or, or maybe a podcast. Something like that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but sure. <laughs> We're putting the idea out there. If someone wants to produce it, we'll, we'll figure a way out. Um, uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's, I think it's important. It, it goes to one of the questions I'll, I'll, I'll come back to later on, but you know, what are the things that you bring with you from your experience at Hofstra into the real world? And it sounds like you brought some of those ideas, but then there were things that you learned later on that, you know, you kind of wish you would known. Absolutely. A earlier. Mm. Um, what's your biggest accomplishment or proudest moment from your time at WRHU? I'm not going to call this an accomplishment because okay. uh, I didn't accomplish anything here, uh, but that was something I was pretty proud of. I don't remember what year I was in. I want to say it was probably my junior year. It may have been my sophomore year. Um, Brian Gruby and Brian Scott were the hosts of the morning show. I was reading community events one or two days a week with them. There were a couple other people doing community events and weather or traffic with them as well. And I have no idea what happened or why it happened, but they got suspended for two weeks, (laughs) right? The two Bryans got suspended for two weeks and they looked at me and they looked at the other two people who were doing community events and they said, we want you guys to host a show for two weeks. And I was like, whoa, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Okay. Um, so I ended up doing that for, uh, you know, again, I was, I was more of an engineering fanatic than I was announcing. I can read copy really well when it comes to ad libbing on the air, not my thing. So I ended up, you know, being the engineer on the show and I'll, I would read community events while I was engineering and I would do that all five days of the week while the other two folks that we were working with, um, they were they were also, um, they were reading, you know, the, they're not reading, but they were actually hosting the show for that time. Right. So doing the news and the, the other. Doing the news, all the other bits that, that we did and, you know, in between picking some music and spinning, spinning a few records here and there. And, and that was it. But that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, so I don't think it was an accomplishment, but I was proud that I got to, I got to do it. I was like, I didn't want to be in that position that, Hey, you're the guy that's crossing the picket line when your buddies got suspended. But, um, it was still a, a, a cool opportunity to, to have. Well, I, I guess we'll have to do some digging and find out what they did to deserve that. And I'm sure I have sure no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Never got into it. Didn't want to. Didn't want to hash up old memories with them and and uh, and and get them upset. So, but but you got taken out of your comfort zone and put into something that you weren't oh, necessarily yeah. looking forward to doing and you pulled it off and you did it. And that's, that's a heck of a thing to do. That's, that's, that's hard. And that's, that's something that again, you bring into your adult life where you're like, well, I don't want to do this, but I guess I have to, cause it's my paycheck, but you yep. did it in a situation where, you know, you didn't necessarily have to, I guess you could have said no. Yeah, I didn't have to, I didn't have to get up and be at the station at six o'clock in the morning every day for two mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a good thing I lived on campus but it, it was, it was still fun. It was like, all right, you got to get in there. You got to prepare. You know, if you're just going in to read community events, it's no big deal. You go in, you, you grab a newspaper or two and you look for things that are happening in the area. Um, or you pick something up off the AP wire that looked interesting with that old dot matrix printer that would just yeah. constantly print and feed stuff to it. I'm sure it's done differently now. 
Um, but you had to prepare for it. You had to go and look and say, all right, what do I want to read? What do I want to talk about? And you had to understand what your, what your other two hosts were going to be doing and what they were going to be talking about and when they were going to need a break. So when they would all of a sudden point at you, you had to be ready. Right. Say, Hey, you're up. We need to go rest our mouths and, and you catch our breath and have a drink or something like that. So we can not lose our voice before the end of the show. That's, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to do. I think uh, a lot of people would be overwhelmed, but uh, it sounds like you pulled it off, which is, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun. Um, Are there any stories or events that make you laugh to this day? I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things that, that are, you know, they're pretty funny, but is there something that always makes you chuckle when you think about it? I still have the air check from this. Uh, I have it on cassette and I burned it to an MP3 recently. Um, I was running an an anarchy show with a couple of friends one night and we decided to do four hours of Billy Joel music. Oh my. Um, and at some point in the show, I don't know what happened in the studio. I can't remember, but it was at the very end of the show and I'm reading the sign off copy before we go off the air. So in Dempster hall, you know, what's now studio North that was then known as master control. Um, there was a, a studio in between Studio North and Studio South. Uh-huh. It was just kind of like you could use it. For, you could you could patch them into either of those studios. You could use it for radio theater, whatever you wanted to do. So the guys that I was doing the show with at three o'clock in the morning decide they're going to go into that studio, hide behind the glass, and as I'm reading the sign off copy, one of them decides to moon me, <laughs> and I and I lost it. <laughs> And just, I, I, I don't know why that this was the funniest thing ever. I'm trying to get through I mean, reading sign off copy is, is boring, you know, yeah. with an effective radiated power of 470 watts, watts, whatever it is, you know, yeah. Yeah. and I'm sitting here like, I have to get through this serious script. That's an FCC regulated thing to say. And, and I'm giggling like a little right. kid. <laughs> and it's just, it's a stupid little thing, but yeah, that was my that was my little comedic memory that I that I still remember. Yeah, that's there there are there are dozens of stories of people trying to make each other laugh, and sometimes it's throw it's throwing things at people, sometimes it's making a funny face, but uh, getting mooned on the air. That's <laughs> I'm sure it's not the only time it's happened, but uh, no, I'm sure it's not. But it was just I don't and I'm glad it was three o'clock in the morning and no one else could see it. Right. Uh, but but it was pretty funny. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So hypothetical question, you get a call from John Mullen or you get a call from the station. Uh, we need you to come in and do a show and fill in two questions. Uh, are you willing to do it? And second question, if you are, what kind of show would you want to do? 100% willing to do it. And I would do whatever show, as long as it's not a talk show, I would do whatever they want me to do. Um, if they want me to, you know, I don't, if they want me to play classics, I'll play classics. They want me to do jazz. I'll do jazz. They want me to do rock. Great. Sounds good. Um, just tell me what you want me to play and, and I'm happy to go and do it. I would love to do that. Wow. Um, I, I know you worked with a number of different morning shows with the two Bryans and I think you worked with Dave and Butch a little bit. Does that interest you at all or, or not anymore? I would do it. I would absolutely do it again. I'd rather be, I'd rather engineer a show than, than announce. Uh, I'll, I'll announce if I have to, uh, but it, that's outside my comfort zone. So if I could, if I could get on and, and help an engineer something and you know, with an occasional little announcement in the middle of it, absolutely. Okay. Hands down. 
Okay. All right. Uh, good to know. Good to now. When you were back on campus, when you were teaching uh, the computer science stuff, um, did you go back to the radio station? Have you been back recently? Do you think you could walk in and figure out the board and technologies that exist now? So I went about two years ago. I did go by, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Nobody. It was it was pretty empty. Um, I went to go try to introduce myself to John. He wasn't there. Mm. Um, but I went back about two years ago when my son was starting to look at colleges. And I, I popped in to say hi to Bruce. And that was the last time I saw Bruce. Yeah. It was probably October of 21. And what I, what I thought was super cool. So Bruce took me into the studio, you know, showed me around. And I could probably figure it out if I had to. I know it's mostly digital at this point. Right. But this is something that, that I, I, I didn't realize I had until after I left. Bruce was such an awesome father figure. And for a guy like me who, who grew up here in Boston, I still live in Boston, you know, was going to school 200 miles away from his home. Bruce was an awesome father figure for all of us. And sometimes he had to tell you the, the things you didn't want to hear, but that needed to be said. So Bruce, who I hadn't seen at this point, so it was 2021. I hadn't seen Bruce in probably 20 years, maybe longer. Um, but I, I chatted with him every so often. I would call him once in a while. I would, I would talk to him online every so often as well. He, um, he invited myself, my wife and my son into his office, never meeting either of them before. And this was just to tell you kind of how warm he was and what a kind guy that he, that he was. He invited the three of us to sit down in his office and he looks at my son and says, David, what do you want to go to school for? And then he looks at me and says, don't you dare answer for him. You shut up. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And he said, you know, your mom and dad are going to want you to do things in life. What do you want to do? And he had this, uh, my wife and I sat there like quiet for a good hour. And Bruce just talked to him and gave him, gave him the same fatherly advice that, that he gave to me, you know, 25 years earlier. And it was, it was a really touching moment for me. Because he didn't know a thing to my kid. He had never met my son before. My son wasn't going to school at Hofstra. He, he toured it. He applied there. He was thinking about going there. It just wasn't his first choice. Um, but the fact that he took an hour out of his day to talk to a kid he's never met before, just not even about radio, just here you go. Here's some information about college and you know, don't do what your parents want you to do. Do what you want to do. You got to do what makes you happy. And it was, it was just an awesome experience to see it. And I thoroughly miss that about about him. I was heartbroken when I got the news about him last earlier this year. Yeah, um, as I had no idea he was sick. Um, so just the fact that my son got to meet him and got to have that experience with him was really touching to me. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I know for Bruce, so much of what the job was about was, you know, making good citizens and active yep. participants. And it wasn't necessarily about radio and it wasn't necessarily about the radio station. It was about what do you need to become what you want to be? And I think especially over time, maybe when he, he jumped into the pool in 1994 and then by the time he talked to your son, uh, I think his attitude and his, his methods had changed a little bit and evolved as, as you would expect. But I think that was always his thing is what do you need and what do you want and what are the tools that you need to achieve that? So that's fantastic to hear. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, he, well, it was all that. And you can't forget that he likes to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Amen. laughs> 
Amen. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I guess the, the one thing that you'd probably still argue about is taking the business courses, you know, whether, whether you know, that, that advice from mom and dad, it's also like, well, you know, sometimes yeah. you gotta listen to them, but, but that's, that's, that's great advice. And I hope, uh, I hope those words in some way, uh, continue with your son and that he, he is able to reflect back on them and, you know, whether it's now or, or later, uh, hopefully that stays with him. That's great. Um, along those lines, what do you miss most about your time at Hofstra radio? I would say not realizing what I had until after it was gone. Hmm. Right. So you get a ton of creative freedom to produce content on the air. Um, no one's sitting there telling you exactly what to say and how to say it. You get to experiment. You get to see what works on your own, what doesn't work, figure out why things don't work. Um, having that creative freedom at WRHU was, was, it was amazing. Uh, part of the reason I, I used to volunteer to do anarchy shifts quite a bit just because they were free form and I could kind of experiment Right. is what can we do? And not necessarily, you know, I, I would do it with a couple of friends and some of those friends weren't even always radio station members, but you know, we'll put them on the air. They can, they can talk. I can still engineer the show. But how can we make things sound differently? Can we do different sound effects? Can we can we make a mashup of different songs? Can we you know build these medleys and try to mix things together in funny creative ways and cut and splice things you know digitally? I was just learning how to edit digital audio on my on my own computer, um, and what does it sound like? So that was a that was a ton of fun to me. Uh, you, you don't get to do that in everyday life. Some depending on your your career path and what it is you're doing. Um, sometimes you get to do it. Sometimes you don't. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think you know, going back to the, the whole Bruce thing, he did everything he could to bring everything, to bring out, you know, the best in us and still treat the radio station like a business. So yeah. I, as I said before, I wasn't mature enough to see it all happening in real time, but looking back on it, it was awesome. It got me ready for my career. It, it showed me that no matter what business you're in, there's always somebody who's maybe not the person that's going to be on the air, but still needs to be involved. I remember um, Debbie Lom was always involved with uh, promotions yeah. and right. She didn't want to be on the air, but she, she, there was definitely a need for somebody like that in the radio station that wanted to market the station and help, help get our name out there. So realizing that everything that you do, it's still a business and we treated it like a business was awesome. Yeah. And I think that was, I don't think I recognized it while it was happening, but reflecting on it, even just a couple of years after I got out, it was like, wow, that was actually a really cool experience. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to, for anyone to do that, to, to be in the moment and say, this is great, or this is what I appreciate about it, or this is what I'll carry with me. But it's especially hard to do that at 19 years old because yep. you have big ideas and you've got ambitions and you've got, uh, you know, all the things that are going on and it's hard to, to, to stop and say, this is really amazing what we get a, <laughs> an opportunity to do. And uh, uh, yeah, I can understand wanting to take that with you. Now, we, we touched on this a little bit. Uh, what are some of the things that you took from your time at the radio station that translated into your adult life or your professional life? So know your audience, mm. know who you're talking to. So if, if I'm talking to a customer right now, if I'm talking to a C-level executive, I'm going to talk to them differently than I would talk to 
a technologist and and you know, somebody who manages IT for for a company. Similar, when I came back to Hofstra a couple of weeks ago, my my audience was a bunch of juniors and seniors. You got to think like them. You have to understand what types of questions they're going to ask. Um, I I learned how to interview somebody. Don't just go through and ask your your pre planned questions. Build on what they're talking about. You know, you can have your questions, which are which are great for prompts if there's if there's silence, but truly listen to what people are saying to you. And and who cares if you go off script? You get more interesting content if you do. Uh, how to speak comfortably into a microphone? I'm I'm the weird guy at my company that someone says, "Oh, we have a public speaking event. Who wants to do it?" And everybody shies away. And I'm like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, pick me!" You know, Mr. Kata, Mr. Kata. You know, it's it's like I, I love I. You put a microphone in front of me. I'm going to talk. You know, I don't necessarily love doing it on the air, but when I can prepare for it, I, I I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me one bit. I don't get stage fright with it. I think it's it's great and it's a lot of fun and it's a great chance to showcase your own skills. But I think the biggest thing that I, I learned that took me a long time to learn was to be receptive to feedback, right? Mm. Not everything is going to go your way. Ask a lot of questions and try to understand what it is that, that people are, uh, are telling you and why they think the way they think and ask the why question all the time. You know, don't become, don't become complacent with, you know, the status quo, learn, learn to always find a way to improve. Is there, is there something that happened in your professional life or, or outside of school that taught you? One of the things I run across with my students with high school kids is they, they say, well, I don't know what to ask, or I don't know how to ask it. And, you know, you alluded to that, that with the show that you proposed and a couple other things, you didn't necessarily know what to ask. Is there something that guided you and say, well, this is when to ask or what to ask or how to ask it? I don't think there was anything specific that guided me, Brian. I think it was, you, ha- you have to sit there and, and reflect a little bit too. And, and you don't always have to have an answer right away for things. Hmm. But take some time to reflect on those answers, right? So I, I tell my kids this. Um, I tell the people that work for me the same thing. Like it's okay to not understand something. Ask questions. I would rather you ask questions and gain clarity than to just assume that you know what I'm talking about and you know spend hours working on something that's totally not what I was asking for. Because perhaps it's not you. It might be me the way I'm explaining something. Yeah. Right. And I don't think. I don't think a lot of younger people are always comfortable with themselves to, to make that happen. So for example, uh, it took me a long time, even in my professional career to even ask for that feedback, right? I would, I would sit there, have a performance review with my boss and they would tell me like, Hey, these are the things you're doing great. And I didn't have a great manager in my, in my first position. I was like, you're doing a great job. Well, right. that's great. What can I, what, what do you like? Like right. what's great? Tell me, tell me more about what's, what's great or tell me more about where I can make improvements. You know, I had a performance review the other day and my boss was saying, yeah, you're doing a great job. I was like, okay, cool. Where can I do better? You know, I want to, I want to always improve. Not everybody has that level of ambition. I understand that, but it's something that I always look for when I talk to people, like try to just ask questions you know, is it's, it's kind of like somebody says something, repeat it back to them in your own words. Yeah. So they might, you might say to me, Hey, we're, I don't know, I'm going to come up with a terrible example here. 
uh, we're going to go do this thing on Saturday night. And I'll be like back. Oh, cool. I heard you say we're going to go out to a bar and steal the the equipment from the remote operations <laughs> closet at WRHU, right? right? And you'd be like, no, 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 that's not what I was saying at all. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's the type of thing. So you have to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's something to having that experience and not getting the feedback or not getting the results that you want that, that make you learn. And it's, you know, you can give advice to any person, a young person or an older person and say, well, do this, but until you go through that and have that experience. And I guess that was part of your, uh, your forming as an adult at, at WRH is like, well, these things didn't go the way I wanted, or I could have gotten more out of it. And you have to experience that first. Well, I think part of that was detrimental to me was my experience at my high school radio station before I yeah. got there, yeah. right? We, we had nobody who really cared. It was just a staff, you know, a faculty advisor for us that was like, okay, let's, let's make sure that you're, you know, the rules. And they had, you know, we had students running the station, but nobody was really listening to our air checks. They were, they would listen to them and just make sure you weren't swearing, but they weren't giving you feedback. So you just assume, you know, when you're 14 and you start doing that, when you work on that from like age 14 to to 17 or 18, you just assume, Oh, cool. No one's giving me feedback. I must be doing everything right. I must be perfect. So when I got to WRHU, it was, it was a, a bit of a culture shock for me. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not doing this the way you wanted to be done. I've been doing this for four years. Right. So and no one's ever told me I'm not doing it right or no right. one. So it was that that's part of, I think was detrimental to my, my maturing process was I hadn't gotten that feedback for a long time. So all of a sudden people were telling me, Hey, you should try this next time, or you should do it this way. Or I didn't like this piece of it, or I really liked what you did. I hadn't heard that for four years before I got there. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, when it happens, it's a bit of a shock, but it's, 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 it's clear that you learn from it and you learn to adapt and, and actually turn it into, uh, an asset. So, uh, I want to kind of ask because people often ask me, well, what's Jason doing now? Or how did he get from radio to this? What was your, your career journey after Hofstra? So I worked, I did a year at grad school. As I said before, I, I started an MBA program, stayed at Hofstra for all the wrong reasons. I stayed there for a girl that didn't work out. Um, left grad school um, after a year. It wasn't for me, and I needed a job quickly. So I started working at CVS store, you know, retail store management, which uh, is awful. <laughs> I would never. I think it's important for everybody to work a retail job once in their career and to never do it full time. Yeah. Um, so it's just a miserable experience. Um, I got a job shortly thereafter. I didn't last there very long. I was maybe there for six to eight months. It, it was quick. I knew I was miserable. I wasn't happy doing it. But it was it was interesting. It was a good learning experience in that, you know, in the store management program, you learn how to run a store. You know, you learn every little bits of from hiring to ordering to, you know, some finances and stuff like that. So you get some you get some exposure to that. I got a job working for a, a a U.S. arm of a German company that sold circuit board connectors in in 2000, uh, just as a customer service representative, still not knowing what I wanted to do, but our U.S. office only had 15 people in it. And they figured out that I knew a little bit about tech. So 
I became their desktop support guy, became this IT con- IT guy in the office, right? I yeah. didn't have I didn't have all the access I should have had, but I had I probably had more access than I should have. And then one day I got a little overzealous right before Thanksgiving in 20 maybe in 20 uh 2000 or 2001. It's probably 2000 and I decided I was going to run Windows updates on the the one server that we had in our office and I crashed it. Uh, and I blew it up and I took our business down for three days. So I brought in our IT consultant. I sat by this guy. I, I listened to him. I watched him save my job and save my life for the next three days. And I asked him questions over and over and over again. Like, what are you doing? I was like a sad little puppy dog sitting next to him and just shadowing him. And he was probably like, get this guy the hell away from me. Cause he's annoying the crap out of me. Um, but I had an opportunity to really sit with him and just ask him the why question. I'm like, I'm not questioning you know, what you're doing. I just want to understand why you're doing what you're doing so that I can learn from it. And I sat with him for all three days, ignoring all my other job responsibilities, making sure that I wouldn't make the same mistake again. And eventually I went to go out and applied for a job at his company and I got it. I got a job about a year and a half later at this IT consulting firm doing basic IT, you know, desktop support, help, help desk work and, and some server management work. And I learned a whole bunch of stuff from there, worked my way. I was there for almost 10 years and took on another job for a few years later. And I've been at my company right now for a little over nine years right now, uh, running a global help desk. So it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think some of the stuff I learned at learned from, you know, working in audio production, like signal flow, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to route route audio through a soundboard, you have to know where it's going to go in that channel. Is it going to go through one of the auxiliary sends? Is it going to come back? Is it going to come back into an insert? How do things process and where does it go? That stuff translated directly to IT knowledge in my head. Hmm. It was like, how does things happen? Like it was very process oriented for me. So I'd say I look back at it and a lot of the stuff I learned in radio production and music production classes, all translate right into technology. You wouldn't have known it at the time, but, but no, not a, it works. Yeah. Not a clue. <laughs> not a clue. I'd be like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> so, but yeah, now I, now I work all with cloud computing and it's a ton of fun. That's something cool. new every day. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet it's, you know, which fire are we putting out today? I'm sure. Um, if you could time travel and go back and give advice to yourself at, I don't know, 17 or 18 years old, what would you tell younger Jason? Shut up. Ask more questions. Forget about your ego, and most importantly, listen. Would eighteen-year-old Jason have listened to that? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> it's good advice for the rest of us, but yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's hard no, to it wouldn't someone. have. Yeah, I, I think some of these are lessons that people just have to learn the hard way, right? You you can preach it all you want, but you know, I look at it with my my kids right now. I can tell my kids, you know, don't do stupid stuff. Yeah. Until they do the stupid stuff and learn the lesson the hard way, they're going to do stupid stuff. You just got to hope they do it safely. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to watch sometimes, but but you hopefully they're learning the lessons and you see how it plays out over time. Um, Jason, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, and we'll have to figure out another way to tell some more stories because this, this is a lot of fun. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Brian.